We have each suffered the consequences of sin as a result of giving into temptation. In this episode, we will learn practical ways to become intentional in applying truth in our daily lives to correct sin and prevent disobedience. We have all experienced times when we have given into temptation and missed the mark of obedience to Christ. It can leave us feeling discouraged or defeated. But we can overcome temptation and sin in our lives by learning to effectively apply God's truth. The Bible refers to God's truth as light. In Psalm 119.105, the psalmist calls God's word a lamp to his feet and a light for his path. If we truly want to walk in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, we will practice eliminating the darkness of sin in our lives by applying the light of His truth. In other words, we will apply God's Word in our lives to correct sinful behavior and to prevent future disobedience. 1 John 1, 5-7 puts it this way, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, Yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We know that when we walk across a dark room, we stumble because we can't see. But when we turn the light on, we can easily see where to walk. In a spiritual sense, Sin opposes the light of Christ. When we walk in sin, it blinds us to the truth and causes us to stumble. In the same way light dispels darkness in a room, the light of Jesus dispels darkness in our lives. That means that if we truly want to correct personal sin, we will intentionally shine the light of God's Word into our hearts and lives. Doing so will enable us to see those areas that have become darkened by sin. We can also prevent future disobedience by using the light of God's truth to direct our path and avoid walking in the darkness of sin. When we think about correcting sin and preventing future disobedience, it's helpful to recognize that these are two distinct positions. When we operate from a position of correcting sin, we are being reactive by responding to past choices and behaviors that oppose Christ. When we operate from a position of preventing future disobedience, we're being proactive by intentionally taking measures to walk in obedience to the Lord. Consider this. Can you act without ever thinking about the motive behind your actions? Yes, we all can. In fact, whether we evaluate our motives or not, They are established prior to action. Now think about what happens when we act in a way that opposes God's will. It's a reactive position because we are reacting to sinful behavior that needs to be corrected. It results in our need to seek God's forgiveness and oftentimes the forgiveness of others. The result could also be undesired consequences and the need to correct behavior patterns. For those reasons, It's important for us to continually invite the Holy Spirit to evaluate our heart motive and align it with His will prior to action. Heart motives that are pleasing to the Lord 
resemble the truth of his word and his character, and they result in peace. On the other hand, the Lord will use conviction to prompt us to change or correct heart motives that are displeasing to him. As we learn to align our motives with those of Christ Jesus prior to action, we are becoming proactive in preventing undesired choices, behavior, and consequences. Being proactive prevents us from asserting our own way and results in blessing rather than regret. As you can see, heart motive is key to walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus. In fact, God is most interested in the condition of our heart. Think of it this way. There are indicators of sin, symptoms if you will. The symptoms of sin can be identified through inward thoughts and feelings and outward behavior that opposes God's word and his nature. But they stem from a deeper root cause, the condition of the heart. In other words, if your thoughts, feelings, or actions fail to mirror Jesus, These are indications or symptoms of a deeper spiritual issue that needs to be investigated. In order to correct thoughts and behaviors that offend Christ, we will need to go deeper than merely looking at the symptoms of sin. We will need to determine their root cause. Let's presume for a moment that you have been experiencing chronic pain in your foot. It affects the way you walk and your ability to move. The pain is even starting to affect your mood and your behavior. You decide to see a doctor concerning the pain. Do you want the doctor to merely treat the pain, or do you prefer that he find the cause of the pain? Keep in mind, if the doctor cures the root cause of the pain, the pain and all the other symptoms will go away as well. Please don't miss this parallel. God wants to do a thorough work in our lives by diagnosing and curing the root cause of sin and thereby also eliminating the symptoms. I'll use an example to show you what I mean. Philippians 4, 6 tells us to be anxious for nothing. God wants us to avoid being anxious or worried because it denies His power and hinders our walk with Him. That means that when we choose to become anxious, we miss the mark of His will for us. Anxiety and worry are symptoms that stem from a deeper-rooted heart issue, aren't they? Think about it. What causes us to become anxious and worried? Is it not our struggle with issues and circumstances beyond our control? Having control, or at least the feeling of control, alleviates anxiety and worry. Yet the Bible assures us that God is in control of all things. By examining the root cause of anxiety and worry in light of God's truth, we can then apply this truth by choosing to trust in God's authority. As a result, We resolve our heart issue as well as the symptoms of anxiousness and worry. Now, please don't miss this. Some believers just want God to resolve their situation or circumstance so they can stop being anxious and worried. Yet God wants to do so much more. He wants to change us by enabling us to overcome anxiety and worry in the midst of our circumstance. Why? Because in doing so, He will get the glory. I encourage you to become sensitive to even the smallest symptom that may indicate that there is sin in your life. Then, study to see what the Bible says about each symptom to help diagnose the deeper heart issue. By relying on God's truth and power to identify and correct the deeper heart issue, 
you will experience victory over sin. When there are indicators of sin in our lives, it tells us that somewhere along the way, we have given in to temptation. In order to become proactive in avoiding sin, it's valuable to learn to identify points of temptation. Now, it's not temptation itself that results in sin. Rather, it's the acting on or investing in temptation that causes us to sin. I say that because it's inaccurate for us to blame temptation for our personal sin. Instead, we should identify and learn from past temptations that entice us to sin in order to guard against future disobedience. If we're going to effectively deal with temptation, it's important that we understand it. Temptation does not have its source in God because it does not reflect his nature. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You see, because the source of temptation is evil, our flesh is enticed. That means that even though we know that temptation is harmful to our spiritual well-being, it can initially appear attractive or pleasurable to our senses. James 1, 14 and 15 gives us a word picture of the process and effects of temptation. It says this, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Did you notice in that passage the process that happens when we fail to allow the Holy Spirit to control our desires? We leave ourselves open to temptation. If we're not careful, that process can quickly become a slippery slope that entangles us in sin. For that reason, it's of extreme importance that we each learn to identify personal sources of temptation and develop the habit of avoiding them and fleeing from them. In the same way that we develop every other spiritual discipline in our lives, we must rely on the Holy Spirit's help. I encourage you to get in the habit of asking the Holy Spirit to help you identify the sorts of temptations that entice you to sin. Once each source of temptation is identified, you can then begin to guard against its effects by removing yourself from the temptation's influence and by relying on the Holy Spirit's power to enable you to stand firm against it. Be aware that it is often easier to identify sources of temptation in the lives of others than to recognize them in your own life. And be prepared. When you invite the Holy Spirit to point out areas of temptation in your life, He may show you things that you have never previously considered. Also, be aware that the enemy will continue to tempt each of us in new ways. That's why we must remain sensitive and yielded to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and remorseful over sin rather than becoming indifferent to it. Psalm 51.17 says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The world around us avoids brokenness, and it encourages us to justify wrongdoing. Yet God sees brokenness as an offering of obedience. It's also important that we overcome any thoughts or feelings of pride 
that give us a false sense that we are, in our own strength, standing firm against temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13 warns us by saying this, If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The Lord will faithfully enable us to be triumphant over temptation and sin by providing us with a way to withstand it or a means of escape. As you can see, walking closely with the Lord Jesus is a continuous process of learning to yield our hearts and adapt our lifestyle to fulfill God's will. In Psalm 139, 23 and 24, the psalmist acknowledges that we must depend on God to lead us in righteous living. Notice how he involves God in the process. He writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist invited the Lord to examine his motives, his thoughts, and his actions in order to live in a way that was pleasing to God. In the Old Testament, God spoke through prophets to help guide and direct His people to live in a way that was pleasing to Him. We see an example of this in Jeremiah 42.3, where God's people are seeking to know God's will. They said to Jeremiah, Pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. Throughout history, God has taught His people that obedience depends on two things, direction and action, where we are going and what we are doing. In other words, obedience is reflected in whether we are following God's ways and mirroring His character. In order to faithfully follow the Lord, we too will need to rely on His Spirit's input throughout the moments of our day to determine whether our direction and actions are pleasing to Him. We see an example of God trying to lead someone to follow Him in Genesis chapter 4. At this time, Cain and his brother Abel both brought offerings to the Lord. Abel's offering pleased God, but Cain's did not. Genesis 4-5 tells us that Cain became very angry and his face was downcast. God responds to Cain's anger in Genesis 4, 6-7. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So here you have Cain demonstrating two symptoms. He was angry and downcast. God approaches him and prompts him to consider the deeper heart issue by asking important why questions. Why are you angry, Cain? Why has your countenance fallen? Then the Lord questions Cain's symptoms by asking him to consider what happens. What's the result of pleasing and displeasing the Lord? God did several significant things we should learn from here. First of all, God is encouraging Cain to see that his heart is not in the right place. Cain was angry with Abel, who chose to please the Lord, when Cain should have been angry and disappointed with himself for disobeying the Lord. 
God also tells Cain that in the same way he had a choice to offer the right offering, he now has another choice to humbly repent and change his ways. God then points out that because Cain chose to act in a way that displeased God, Cain is in a reactive position. He has already given in to temptation, and sin is now at the door of his life. God then reminds Cain of the potential power of sin and its undesired consequences. Then, once again, God shows Cain the choices that are before him. He can either repent and change his direction and actions, or he can continue down the path he is on. Are you able to identify with Cain in any way? As with Cain, God will enable us to overcome temptation and sin, but we must rely on His power to do so. Also, if we've already acted on temptation, the struggle is stronger to want to continue to invest in the flesh. We can become stubborn and prideful as Cain did. It's in those moments, don't miss this, it's in those moments when God convicts our heart that our repentance should be immediate. Our desire should be to turn from sin as soon as possible, because we cannot afford to risk giving the enemy even the slightest foothold in our lives. If we continue to resist repentance, God will allow us to have our own way. We see this in the life of Cain by reading Genesis 4, 8-10. It says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Our all-knowing God knew what Cain had done. God transitioned from inquiring about Cain's motives to now asking him to account for his actions. Sadly, Cain's response reveals an unrepentant heart. Apart from examining directions and actions in light of biblical truth, we will each be guided by the flesh. For this reason, we should develop the habit of examining the direction we are traveling and the behaviors we are embracing from God's perspective. Psalm 37, 23 and 24 says, If the Lord delights in a man's ways, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. What a beautiful promise that as we practice walking in obedience to Christ, his power will sustain us. We can learn from experience and become increasingly proactive in living for him. With those truths in mind, It should be our constant goal to purify ourselves from sin rather than excuse it. Pride tempts us to want to justify or excuse sinful behavior. But in doing so, we fail to take responsibility for our sin and turn from it. We make obedience contingent on circumstances and conditions rather than on the power of God's indwelling spirit. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 tells us, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, 
and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. If we merely try to excuse or justify selfish, sinful behavior, we allow it to continue by ignoring its corrupting effects. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Rather than excuse or justify our sins, we can confess them to Jesus and renounce them through repentance. The struggle for us is that it's often easier to excuse or overlook sinful behavior than it is to correct it. Yet God's Spirit is continually available to us and unlimited in every way. That means that we have immediate access to the power to withstand the world's temptations, eliminating a need for excuses. Each time we choose to be intentional in ridding our lives of sinful motives, thoughts, and behavior, we're becoming increasingly proactive in living in obedience to Jesus. Notice how intentional the psalmist is in being proactive in his walk with the Lord. Psalm 104, 2-4 says, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate. They will not cling to me. Men of perverse hearts shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Notice all the lessons that can be learned from this passage. First, the psalmist's mindset was to be intentional in living a blameless life. This motive is pleasing to God. He is very proactive and practical in safeguarding his life by drawing lines to identify those things that please and displease the Lord. Also, he became resolved to have nothing to do with anything that opposed the Lord. Do you want everything Jesus died for? As we pursue lives that are pleasing to Jesus, His grace will enable us and sustain us. Titus 2, 11-12 says, For the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. As we rely on the power of God's grace to enable us to say no to ungodliness and to train us to walk in godliness, Christ Jesus will be honored, and other people will see Christ working within us. As you are given opportunities to influence and disciple others, let them know that Christ not only desires to correct sinful behavior, but He also will empower us to overcome future temptation and sin as we depend on Him to do so. Proverbs 4, 26-27 says, Make level paths for your feet, and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Encourage others to know that even though they may be confronted with temptation through knowledge of truth and reliance on God's power, they can avoid investing in it. Learning to obey all of God's commands begins with pure motives, and godly thinking. Yet the way people think, what motivates them, and their experiences, learning style, etc., can be unique to each individual. That makes personal discipleship very valuable. You can be instrumental in helping a person correct past sinful choices and behavior. 
However, if a person has walked in opposition to the Lord for an extended period of time, ungodly choices and actions become patterns of behavior and build up like layers on an onion. Although it can be messy to help individuals unpack and correct personal issues, make no mistake, it is an enormous privilege to help people learn to walk daily in Jesus' victory and freedom. The following are some practices that I have found to be helpful in training a person to transition from reactive living to proactive living. As you listen to individuals, listen carefully for words and phrases that oppose God's character and His Word. As you make observations, ask the Holy Spirit to make you sensitive and discerning to symptoms that potentially indicate ungodliness. In these cases, slow down and assist each person in considering wrong thinking, potential motives, and undesired choices and actions. For example, you may ask questions like these. What were you thinking about when you made that choice? Have you considered what motivates you to do that? What is your focus when you act in that way? Have you ever considered what tempts you in those moments? Can you identify what tempted you or pinpoint the moment you gave in to temptation? Have you considered other choices you could have made? Not that you will ask all these questions at one time, but the point is that asking questions that promote personal evaluation with a loving, caring tone promotes teachability in others. While they consider answers to each question, pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal Himself to them, giving them personal insight concerning each issue. As they talk through with you their thoughts and feelings, Keep in mind that discipling individuals is often like long division, meaning it's not often simple and straightforward. Each issue has to be divided out using the truth of God's Word. As the person settles each issue through belief in the truth of God's Word and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, they will experience personal victory and freedom in Christ Jesus. As a result, they will become a greater spiritual influence in the lives of others. Let me give you an example. A lady I discipled called me asking for help with an issue she was having with her teenage daughter. This mom told me that her daughter had been growing closer in her relationship with the Lord. Several months ago, the daughter told her mom that God was showing her the importance of missions. She asked her mom if she could get paid for doing extra chores around the house to give to missions. Her mom agreed and was grateful that her daughter was thinking of others but she also feared it might lead to other things, and sure enough it did. A few days ago, her daughter asked if her mom would approve of her one day going on a church-sponsored mission trip. The mother told her daughter absolutely not, at least not in the near future. The mother said that her daughter didn't understand, and the mom's decision was causing conflict between them. As this mother explained the situation, I was relying on the Holy Spirit to show me anything that might oppose God's word or his nature. I heard the word fear and based my questions on this response. I slowed down and gently asked the mom, what was your thought process concerning your daughter going on a mission trip? The mom asked me, what do you mean? I said, well, you mentioned that you were fearful that your daughter's financial support of missions might lead to other things. I wondered if you were fearful that it might lead to going on a mission trip. 
She said that she hadn't really considered that. I told her that I didn't know. I was just asking. Is it possible that her motive to say no to her daughter could be based on fear? She then explained that she believes in missions, and she knows that God calls people to be missionaries. But she had always hoped it would not be her children she calls. Then she said, Yes, I guess I'm fearful. Living on the mission field could be dangerous. I'm fearful of being apart from my daughter and growing apart in our relationship. Then she paused and said something precious. She said, I need to give these fears to the Lord, don't I? I just smiled and nodded my head. And then together, we unpacked the situation, like long division, talking about ways to best settle her fears using the truth of God's word and his character. For example, we talked about how the Bible shows that children actually belong to God, that parents are merely stewards of their children. As a result of this truth, this mom agreed to practice trusting God with her daughter's life. She could see and agree that the thoughts and feelings of fear she was experiencing were based on her flesh rather than exercising faith. That was a breakthrough. In the time we spent together, Mom chose to surrender the plans and desires for what she had wanted her daughter to be and do in exchange for trusting God's higher purposes. She even said, Above all else, I truly want my daughter to pursue God's will. How freeing it is to trust in the truth of our Lord Jesus. Notice how the mom transitioned from being reactive to becoming proactive by faithfully following the Lord. As you disciple individuals, you may initially deal with both reactive and proactive choices and behavior. However, a person who becomes increasingly surrendered to Christ will become more and more proactive in living for Jesus. As you teach each person how to seek forgiveness for past sin, how to recognize personal motives and patterns of temptation, and ways to experience daily victory in Jesus— you will be training them to depend on the Lord to do a thorough work of both correcting sin and preventing future disobedience in their lives. The Holy Spirit will prompt us to correct undesired behavior from a reactive position. Yet He also wants us to become increasingly proactive by learning from our mistakes and putting into practice His truth. A heart yielded to righteousness will rely on the Holy Spirit to identify and correct personal sin while learning to avoid future disobedience.